So we, we engage the parents more, try to minimize the barriers they have with their children in terms of communication regarding um, sexual and gender-based violence, regarding sexual and reproductive health, even regarding harmful practices. I'm singing my sorrow. I'm singing my rage. I'm singing this fear out and I'll sing it over and over again. Welcome to Change Making Women, the podcast for women who make a difference. With Siada Bade in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and Marianne Clements in London, in the UK. So, hi everyone, and welcome back. Um, another episode of our Change Making Women. And today we are so excited because we have Henry B. Niplo. Um, I think I got the pronunciation correct from Formidable um, Initiatives for Women and Girls. Now, Henry, she is a humanitarian, women's rights activist, change, change maker, and administrator, and is uh, evidence based results oriented. She's a jack of all trades. Let me go ahead and say that. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Henry, and uh, tell us more about yourself. Uh, thank you so much, Yada and uh, Marianne. So you've said a lot. I'm Henry, and I'm from Liberia, a very small country in West Africa, where we have a lot of beautiful people, and we have a lot of issues that need to be addressed. That's why uh, I founded the Formidable Initiative for Women and Girls, and basically with the passion to serve humanity, especially with the issues that women and girls face as regards to sexual and gender-based violence, sexual reproductive health issues, and low, I mean, limited economic empowerment issues, uh, opportunities for young women and girls. So with all that, I said, well, I think I can make a difference in society by helping these young women to rise above these challenges and achieve their potential. Can you tell, maybe tell us a little bit about um, the, 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 how, how, you, how you got your activities started? How you, okay. how you started doing the stuff you do? Yeah, okay. So um, uh, I'm one of, uh, one of three siblings. Uh, I'm a twin. I lost my sister, my twin sister, a couple of months ago. And we grew up with a single parent, our mother who kind of, yeah, she, she was basically involved into economic empowerment activities to actually sustain us through school. And with the challenges that we face growing up, I mean, single-parent children, you have to sometimes make self, self-food stuff just to, have, uh, just to obtain an education. You face of issues of low self-esteem because of financial difficulties. People look down at you in society. I mean, so all that I have, I, I do all of my passion towards uh, of serving humanity, especially with regards to women, uh, to young women and, 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 and girls, vulnerable young women and girls, if I youth as a whole. But then I wasn't, I wasn't opportune to, to fund an institution by then, so I always work as volunteer with different institutions, national and both international institutions. And I did that for almost pretty close to 12 years. Um, so uh, two years ago, my sister and I sat down and said, well, uh, we think, at, I mean, at this point, we, we, because we have been doing a lot, of, a lot of activities, mentoring, especially mentoring young women a lot in the communities. A lot of young women always saw us as role models. They want to come to us 
for mentorship and coaching and all of those. So we say, but then we should, we should, we should do more than just having these people coming to us as individuals. Why, why can't we have these mentors, these mentorship sections where they will actually come? I mean, go through trainings, get certificates, and I mean, I mean, be recognized in society for something. And that's how we decided to have this organization uh, established where we work with a lot of young women and girls from different communities, different, in different situations. So far from 2016 up to now, we've trained like, uh, we've reached out, not actually training. With training, we have touched around 146 persons that have gone through our trainings, but we've reached out to over 600 and 600, between 610, 613 uh, young people from what we have, we have been going to schools, in different schools, high schools, communities, just engaging them with issues regarding rape, sexual and gender-based violence as a whole, which rape is also a part of, uh, issues regarding sexual harassment, issues regarding teenage pregnancy, which is so high in our country. I mean, there's one in uh, one in every in every twelve or even one in every twelve girls that is, that, that 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 is somehow sexually uh, abused. We have um, the teenage pregnancy rate is around thirty-eight percent, which is just so high. With a youth with a youth population of of around sixty-three uh, percent so far in a country that we have a total population of four point four point four point one million people. That's just so high for our young people to go through issues of rape repeatedly, issues of teenage pregnancy. I mean. Uh, um, sexual and gender-based violence. Many days we have to go. So currently, we have we we have uh, uh, gender clubs in in the different schools, empowerment clubs where we talk about these issues. So young people can actually get aware and be able to 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 defend themselves, to be able to protect themselves, as well as empower other people that they they, they encounter along the way. Yeah. Mm, thanks so much for sharing more. Um. I'm so sorry to hear that you lost your twin. I just want yeah. to say that um, before we move forward. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm interested to know um, maybe a bit more about what you do in the in the clubs, like how you how you support um, young people to defend and protect themselves, because it feels like. It feels like you're trying to tackle a really significant issue from the issue, yeah. yeah. Like what what's the kind of um strategies you use to help equip them? Okay, so we, we first of all engage them through the um the consent of the parents. There are some mm -hmm. of them who yeah, who are below um uh, uh, individual consent. So we um send rather so we involve their parents mm -hmm. and we meet them, yeah, we meet them repeatedly. Or a period of time, a period of seven weeks for those that are out of school. For those that are in school, we meet them every month. We go into the school. So we establish the youth, the, the gender and empowerment clubs in those different schools mm -hmm. where we give them information on menstrual, okay, menstrual hygiene, personal hygiene. Mm -hmm. We we'll cover menstrual hygiene, um, the, 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 um, the adolescent or the, hip, the, the development of their bodies, where they know the different stages of, of, of growing up, the different stages of 
uh, what to do at what stage, how to how to establish a responsible relationship, how to receive responsible relationship. We also uh, touch issues of sexual reproductive health. What we 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 encourage them to know about um, with regards to because a lot of the young people. As, uh, as young as 12, 13 years old, they already have had some kind of sexual intercourse. So we talk to them with regards to contraception. What do they do when they are in a situation of, uh, sex, of, have, of being sexually active? What do they, where do they go to, to get help? We also have this youth corner at our, at our office where we have a, a nurse sit in there and provide contraceptive services to young people, as well as the same reproductive health services to young people who come in. So when they leave the school, because in the school premises, we don't provide those services there. So when they leave, they talk about those things freely. But when they come out of the school, the school facility, where do they go to receive those services? They come at our, our, at our facility where they, they have access to that. And we also have um, the economic empowerment component where we teach them uh, soap making, we teach them tie and dye, we teach them um, pastries. So we, we kind of we, we engage them into several different things that are actually going to empower them to achieve their potential. So we give them skills as well as we give them education. So at the, at the gender, yeah, at the gender and, uh, and economic, uh, at the gender and empowerment club, they receive basically information on how to, on sexual and gender-based violence, what to do in cases of sexual harassment, how do we report it? Because a lot of a lot of the young people will say, even in the schools, I mean, most of the time the teachers are the ones that that are um, harassing them. I mean, for sex, for grades, because they they, they they are not so much inclined to report this issue. They sit quietly and suffer. So sometimes, even in the midst of this, even in the midst of the, the, the school the school authorities, will talk to them about these things. And, and after the, the different sessions, they will come to us. Oh. We we so grateful you people came when you were talking this touch us and we need I mean and they are, we need you to always come to talk about these things because if our teachers always hear them they get they get kind of frightened they didn't know exactly that we're talking we 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 are, we are aware of these things and we're talking these things to them so they know exactly that when they when they are caught they will get they, they, when they I mean when they harass them they will get reported and we will engage the authorities to to investigate or take um. Or, or give them access to justice. So we, we provide those kind of services in school and out of school. We run this uh, after school program also where the adolescents come from school and come at our facility during the, the after school hours between two, let's say by three, we've got the leave school by two, two for the five, they are there by three to five o'clock. We help them with their school, their school work. The, 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 the school assignments as regards to uh, science and math, because a lot of young women, a lot of adolescent girls, I mean, for that matter, they, they, have, this, they have this phobia towards science, towards math. They always think it's a mess thing. I mean, they do not have the passion for so much reading and critical thinking. So we try to engage them to have more love for, for that, for, for the sciences and for, and for, math, for, for math. So we provide that issue, uh, that component to them after just after school hours. For those for those adolescent girls who do not go to school, we still have the challenges of engaging the parents. Because most of the time, the parents will have them going out in the community to sell. They will go out in the communities to sell, and they will sell for I mean almost the whole time. 
So we have to go back to those communities, to so those parents, so that we engage, we try to recruit this curiosity. Oh, my parents sent me to sell, and I do not, I cannot go to her by myself to say I want to attend this program. We have to do follow-up, go back to the parents. You need your child to go to this program. It's just free of charge. I mean, so once some of them agree, some of them say, oh, no, you teach the children, you get the general information about, about sex. Because when you have a session with reproductive health, they say we teach the children about sex. You teach the children about sex. And so when our children come from there, they will start having boyfriends and they will not want to respect us anymore. They will start having a, a, a multiple sexual relationship and they will be promiscuous and all sorts of things. So we just try as much as possible to engage them, have community meetings, we meet parents. Most of the times we engage, we, we invite parents at those, at those uh, at several different forums just to engage them because most of the time the parents the parents who serve as somewhat barriers to to young people achieving most of the information or uh, getting most of the information that they so desire that can actually help them to excel. So we, we engage the parents more, try to minimize the barriers they have with their children in terms of communication regarding um, sexual and gender-based violence, regarding sexual and reproductive health, even regarding harmful practices. We try as much as possible to engage them. So most of most of our work are around those areas with the school club, with the clubs we have in the community, just kind of awareness and awareness and awareness because this, they are, these are the, the issues that are really, really confronting our young people of nowadays and they really need help because most of the time we have a lot of young people, we have this proliferation of um, motorcycle, motorcycle riders in our country where nearly all of the motorcycles uh, Riders, they have like two, three, four girlfriends, and as soon as they impregnate those girls, they just leave them. They just abandon them, and because most of these children do not have, I mean, means of support, they will always fall prey to their sweet talk. So we try as much as possible to give them all of the information, inviting the parents, so they can always know and prevent these things from 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 happening. Mm. I mean, and that, you said a very important point because that's what I kept on thinking all this time you were um, you were talking um, in terms of parents because you know as African parents are very you know have, have pride you know they're very mm-hmm. proud when it comes to their children and with regards to you know when a child gets pregnant that is you know you know teen pregnancies or mm-hmm. they get you know raped or things like mm-hmm. you know things of that nature. Um, they tend not to really talk about it. And mm-hmm. I, one of the questions I wanted to ask was like, how do you even encourage these parents to come forward and talk about these things when, you know, they're the teenage girls, you know, teenage mm-hmm. or, you know, something like that happens to mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And the result into, you know, I'm just going to keep quiet. It's okay. Society doesn't need to know. This is embarrassing to the family. So let's mm-hmm. just keep quiet. You know, so it's amazing the fact that you're even engaging the parents, you know, to be part of this, you know, part of these workshops and and see and learn and get to, to even know what their kids are doing in school. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really amazing work you're doing. Um, and one of the questions that I, I really wanted to know, what are the challenges? Because, you know, it's um, it's what your organization is doing. I feel like it's really widespread because you're almost touching every aspect of a girl child. Um, so what are some of the challenges that you're facing or you had to face, you know, as you go on this journey? Um, well, most our biggest challenge, our biggest challenge we've been faced with because we kind of knew, I mean, 
I've worked in this space for, I mean, over 12, 13, if I as young as uh, 15 years when I was volunteer. But starting out anew, starting out fresh uh, with this new institution, with this new brand, I mean, people see, people know you. Yeah, okay, you've made this name, you've worked in this space for a long time, but what has this institution done? But also gave you funds to do this, to do that, to do this. And so when you, you always making reference to um, our, um, our founders, you're always making reference to our board of directors. I mean, they want to see you making reference to some donor or some partner that you've international partner or some reputable donor institutions that are in lab in, in country that are actually giving you support but we do not have those we do not have those right now because we kind of still new and most of our our colleagues i will call them our colleagues who have, who have been doing uh, similar work before us most of the time they've, they've always they've always quite i mean the the the, the environment for not being honest for not being but not living up to, uh, but not having a lot of integrity, let me put it that way, donors come and give funds, they mismanage donor resources. So it leaves you now with, 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 with negative impressions that donors want to have with you. How do I give this one some money when, I mean, what other people have done X, Y, and Z, and they have done this one. So we, we our biggest challenge so far in this space have been with, um, with, sustained, with, with sustainability. So because even with our, even with our, our, the economic empowerment program. So we have we have tried now. We we're going to re redesign. We have we currently redesigning it because a lot of people in Liberia they look out for handouts. They look out for support. They, even if you you say this is once you say this is free, you have people coming to to um, benefit from from that. Or like you say, this has some cost attached to it. So we kind of want to redesign or remodel our program so that we can have cost, a little cost attached to the economic empowerment program to have this, to have the, the program sustainable. So for now, we 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 the, the challenge has been minimum minimum because we have been using funds from our packets, from our we have this um we have this catering service we we that we use as a social enterprise for the institution. So we, we provide catering at different offices. We get the funds, then we support the program into the, the, the economic, into the organization for that matter, the formidable initiative for me and girls. But that's not forthcoming. We have this, as should I say, recession in our country where uh, we have so much issues with, uh, with funds and everything. That's not even with our local initiative, but it's national with donor fatigue, with the new government and all that. So you don't even, you, you really, we, we, have, we face it, we, we are currently facing challenges or even the business, the business being supported from that angle. So we, we decided now to redesign it, redesign the program to make it much more sustainable to have people paying funds, paying fees for services. You want to learn soap making, you come and pay fees. You have your skills, you have your startup kit, you have your certificate, you move on. You want to learn tie and that, you come and pay some money, you have your skills. I mean, just like that, so we can be good. If we, we always, I mean, dish out into our packets, dish out into, into uh, the, the, our, our, our business, to so always support the institution, it has been a, a major challenge for us so far. But with the, the, with the support of the, the board of directors, which they are so much very supportive, they always kind of encourage us. We've written proposals here and there, several different institutions. Some tell us you have to, with some tell us you have to partner with some bigger institutions. 
I mean, over time, then we, we will be able to support you. So we have been faced with that, with those challenges. But we will get there. I mean, these things happen normally with a startup. We expect them to. We expect these things to happen. So with time, once we can demonstrate our work, and we can demonstrate, I mean, quality of work that we do in the community, it won't take long for us to to provide services and extend to other counties because where we work right now it's just in Montserrat in one of the counties of uh, Liberia and we have like 15 counties of, of, of Liberia and this the needs of young people and girls is not just in one county it's it, it cuts across all of these different counties and there are several communities that are in dire need of these services we receive we receive uh, invitation. We receive requests every day. We open our emails. We receive requests. We need to come and to come and uh, uh, provide support to us in this area. We need you to come and train our people in this area. And how do you do all of those things when you do not yourself? You do not have the support to extend to several different places all at once. Yeah. So that's that's the major challenge we've been faced with. But with regards to with regards to um. With regards to donor with donor relationships, so we also build a relationship with 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 donor partners that are in country. We attend meetings, we make presentation at those different meetings with the local authorities. We also engage them. We I mean attend the meetings, invite them to our meetings. We try to engage as much as possible, and we have a very good working relationship with people that we engage with. So with that, we do really have the challenges even with the, before when we started. The parents were the ones who actually said, no, you don't come here, we, you, you teach our children, but most of the time, there were two times, um, two parents came and were kind of complaining their children. One of the parents said her daughter, <clears throat> her daughter doesn't go to school anymore. She noticed her daughter doesn't go to school, and she's asking us to come and help her to talk to her daughter. She wants to know what, what is her daughter engaged with. So when I asked the daughter, she said, well, when I, I, she feel kind of like two periods in the school, two terms. And when she went to school, every time she goes to school, her colleagues or her schoolmates will kind of make more clear at her. She's not so smart. And she, I mean, she'll get so she got, she got with June and she just stopped going to school. But the mother did not know that was a problem because she has the, the barrier is there between she and this girl. So she thought it was something else. When I, when I talked to the girl, she said, she, I mean, openly said what she had to say. No, I do not have relationship. My mother even took me and carried me to one clinic, said that she go and check me whether I have had sex. And that too also made me to draw away from her because I'm still small. Why would she be telling me all that? I again had to talk to the mother, encouraging her. I mean, you have to talk to your daughter more. She's, at this stage, she has reached. You need to create that closeness. You can't draw her fire. You can't pull her fire away from you by creating that barrier. And you, you, you need to be really close. We had another situation where I mean, the husband was reporting his wife. He wanted us to intervene. The wife was not being, I mean, she was not being homo like a wife. He should have, I mean, so we have those different issues now with community people. I mean, they're having, they having, I mean, with the trust issues, they have trust and confidence in the work that we do. So they come up clearly to say exactly how they want us to help them, how we can engage them, and how we can be able to work together to make, to make whatever situation they have issues with um, smooth. Um, I have to say, I was really shocked. Just over a half of adolescents live in rural areas, and fifty-two point eight percent are adolescent girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I was quite shocked. Yeah. You know, in comparison, you you would think, um, you know, in, in the rest of the, you know, the African countries, you'd think like that's the opposite because a lot of people just run to the urban areas. 
you know, especially the, you know, the, the adolescent and as they progress to, towards, you know, the teenagehood. Yeah, yeah, so the adolescents stay there, but the adults, the young adults, will always come to the mm. urban areas. For the adolescent girls, they do not have means of support. They'll stay there. They have to walk miles to go to school. Then they have menstrual hygiene problems. They do not mm. know what to do yeah, when they have, when, when they they are on their periods. They have to skip classes. I mean, so there are several issues with retention in schools with adolescent girls. So that's something that even the government... The government of Liberia, we in particular with the, the Ministry of Education is working on to retain these girls in school because many days they skip classes and they, they do these things because of, of bullying from their friends, when they, especially on the menstrual period, when they, they, they fail in, in subjects that they should be passing in, they have this competition among the boys, so they just kind of stay away. So... Those are the issues, and there are several other issues, several other issues that adolescent girls are actually faced with that we just can sit down and just watch these things happen. I always tell people, well, I wasn't, I wasn't unfortunate like my other friends to say, okay, maybe I was raped or I was abused or I had this, this unfortunate situation that I gained passion from to do what I'm doing, but because I was fortunate to grow up even in a single-parent family, but I know the challenges that we went through as, as, I mean, as, as adolescents coming up. There were a lot of challenges we went through. I mean, sexual harassment, we, we went through the issues of sexual harassment. A lot of times people harass us. Oh, you, I mean, you are in 12th grade now. You're about to graduate. You have not had sex. You, I mean, you come, let's, come, let's go and try. I mean, there were several times we had those issues. And but we, because our, our mother, she did a lot, but always talking to us, you as soon as you start menstruating, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to, she told us, she told us like everything we wanted to know as regards to sexual reproductive health. So when people talk to us about these things, we're just kind of more, more like educating them. And we always knew where to report those issues, but not, not many people are fortunate like that. And we've seen that a lot. Not many people are fortunate. They always have the issues. They suddenly will sit with it. A few days ago, we had the issue of a 12-year-old being raped, gang raped. She was gang raped by some for by a group of boys in the community for us a boy from her house was the one that engaged her friends to gang rape. I mean almost like his sister, but they brought this boy from the from the from the rural area to come and stay with them. And they raped her at the almost at the point of death. Instead of the parents now taking the case, I mean with the other boys that were involved, they said because the one child who stayed with them in the house is involved. They don't want issues with their family name, like similar to what you are saying. They don't want issues with their family name and all of that. They took the boy before, if I want the case, the, the, the case reached to us, we tried to go and intervene. They took the boy from there and sent him back to the interior. And leaving that, leaving that girl, I mean, in so much pain, with so much trauma to go through, all that alone. So, I mean, there was, that's just one, one unfortunate situation, but there are several, several, several. There's another girl, another lady who was explaining to us about, this nine-year-old girl who was raped and she died. She died instantly. We have, but the issues of rape is so much on the increase. It's so much on the increase. So all of these different issues, you just can sit down and say, oh no, I would not, I would not just talk about them. You have to continuously talk and talk and talk and engaging the parents because the parents are, they want, most of the times they are the ones who closing, who closing about some of these things. Or maybe it's my, my husband who has raped. The girl who has come to stay with us, I don't want my husband, to, my husband to go to jail. I mean, that's my family name, so I will just cover it up. 
or maybe it's my son or my nephew. So most of the time, it's a family we're close by who has done these things. They will just kind of close it up. So we're encouraging the parents to come out. We're encouraging both, not only just the females we work with. So we work with, we work with both males and females. Well, we're using the males as, as agents of change. We engage them in all of our programs. We engage them in all of our programs to support us because if you don't have the males involved in these things, most of the time, you'll continue to have these issues. So we engage them into awareness. We engage them into, I mean, parental support. Whatever we're having traditional meetings, we engage the males in whatever activity we do. We engage the males to support us, and we we realize that by, by doing that, we always have, I mean, a desirable outcome because they be more supportive to their wives, they be more supportive to their daughters, and even to the the female counterparts that are going to be engaged in those activities, and that has really really been helping us. I, I just wanted to um, come in just briefly because I've been thinking, what, what about the men? Because the, the, mm. what I'm hearing is, is like, I just want to name this. I'm just hearing this like a, about a lot of horrific sexual um, violence. And, um, and I'm wondering, like, how do you... So you know from the from the point of view of of girls and women there's lots of work that you're doing and and involving men yeah it's one thing but like having been doing this work for a while now like how do you see shift how how do you see like shifting the the, the problem like m- making it happen less like how how might how could that work sorry my question's not very articulate but do you get my point <laughs> My question is, from your perspective of having been doing this work for a while in these communities, what do you think can be done about the extent of sexual violence? From the point of view of, of trying to stop it happening so much, I mean. Well, okay, okay, so sexual gender-based violence from the peak it has reached, mm. it actually, need a, it actually needs a, a multi-sectorial approach. So you cannot, we can no longer approach it from one, from an angle, from one angle. I mean, from an angle of just this one institution doing it. You have to do a lot of engagement, engaging, engage with this uh, sector, that sector, and so we. I mean, you cannot do it all alone. So you have to, you have to work partnership in partnership with, with, with different actors in different societies. So you work with traditional leaders. Because they are one, they are one group of people who, I mean, actually believe in the tradition so much. So the social norms, I mean, those those social norms, they hold on to it, the cultural values, they hold on to that, and most and those are some of the reasons why you always have these these these, these abuses. I mean, on the increase, for instance, a wife is a man is beating his wife continuously. And, I mean, they will say the license, the man has the license to beat for the fact that he has married this woman. Mm-hmm without knowing the woman's right. So these are the issues where you actually have to, 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 to be faced with. So we engage with the, 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 the justice and security sector involving the police, and we try to follow up on cases. If cases come to us about this man, I mean, either he has battled his wife or the girl has been abused by some uh, a family member, we try to follow up so the girl can have access to justice, so the woman can also have access to it. But most of the time, the women will say, that's my husband, I don't, we'll share, we'll, we'll, let's just set, it, set, it, set, set this issue up family way, instead of going to embarrass my family in public and all that, they will just want to settle it at home. So you also engage the health authorities 
So when issues of, of rape or gender-based violence come in, you also need to provide services for them. So we, we have this referral path where we link with every, with every sector what the different roles and responsibilities are. We try to engage everyone in. So for this reason, we have this, they have this very big project that the, the EU and the UN is sponsoring. And that is also in line with this team, with this team uh, meaning of sexual and gender-based gender violence. They're trying to engage as many people as so it's it's a global project, but for Liberia, we're trying to engage as many people as we can, because you cannot just you cannot just address the issue of sexual and gender-based violence just by working. I mean, in isolation anymore. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 obviously, it's becoming clearer and clearer that this is like a problem all over the world. But, yeah. But it, it, I, I was just interested to hear like what your perspective from where you are is in, in, in terms of what we might do about it. it what sounds like just the massive extent of the violence that really young girls and women are experiencing. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, I wonder with all of this, like what motivates you to keep going because you talked about the challenges of funding on the one hand and then I'm hearing about like a, the, the huge extent of the, the problems that you're trying to address on the other hand like mm -hmm. how are you going like day to day <laughs> <laughs> I mean that, that I mean the passion when you are passionate about something you tend to be committed to it regardless regardless of all of the odds so for the fact that we do not have uh, donors to support us right now, mm -hmm. I kind of kind of back off from the institution a little bit. I say, well, let me go and find some sort of support for the institution. So right now we have we have shifted. So we, you sometimes have to be strategic in your approach. So I have shifted to 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 to, to kind of empower others because there are a lot of people we've been working with, and as a leader. As, as a leader, you know that you, you know that you are making impact, but sometimes you delegate responsibilities and see those people actually do exactly that what you have taught them or what you have trained them to do. So I'm sitting back a little bit and see, I mean, the mentors, you know, the mentees rather, the mentees that have been that have gone through several training, several mentoring, several coaching to actually run the institution. I, I mean, because it has gone to it has gone to a point where We've got a lot of recognition. It's just with the funding that we, we, we stay kind of struggling with, but we're going to get there. I mean, these things happen naturally. So I'm still being motivated to do more because women and girls' issues are so passionate to me. I will not rest until I see a lot of young women and girls being empowered in several different ways, and they have opportunities that, that are available to them to I mean, rise against or uh, rise above those challenges it faces on a daily basis. And I mean, that's a long journey we have to we have to we have to cross because a lot of young people we are they, they are still not there yet. That with with, with the state support, with inst different institutional support, they are not just sufficient enough to say, okay, other people are doing this, so let me just sit back. No, you still have to because I mean, several days, young people call my number, so now my phone rings almost. All of the time, you always have to talk to them on the phone. I mean, once they see your number on the internet, they see your number from the different trainings you 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 provide, the different engagement or whatever I provide. I, I have speaking engagement. I leave my contacts because most of the time they want to talk to you in the free time. They face issues. 
and they cannot talk to their parents about the face issue. They cannot talk to their teachers about this. They need a safe environment, a very safe space to actually engage the, uh, these young people. There was a point in time um, I engaged a, a few of our colleagues from the UNFP. I said, well, I received a lot of calls, a lot of phone calls from adolescent girls regarding sexual health issues. Why can we, why can we uh, develop a mobile app that we can, I mean, actually launch and have these young people going on those, going on this mobile app and get information? Because a lot of young people now, they, they're so glued, glued to the internet. They're so, all of them have smartphones, or most of them have smartphones. They can read, they can write. They just go and push in the questions and they receive, I mean, the answers right away. And so even with our website, a lot of issues come. A lot of issues come. And so with these different issues coming in, oh, no, you can't just leave it. So I, it, I, this is my calling because a lot of young people believe in the work that we do. They believe in us. So if we should back off right now, they will say, oh, no, they have failed us. And you don't want to see people, your generation, unborn. I mean, suffering the very same things that you've been afraid of. So that's, that has been my passion. That's the motivation, seeing young people, especially young people that have been trained, that have, have been trained. I go to some places, they say, oh, Mr. Sometimes before I even got married, they were calling by my father's name, Miss B, Miss B. You remember you told us this? You remember you told us about malaria? You, you remember you told us about this program? And me, I'll be like, hmm, I can't remember you. And they will try to, I mean, link you to exactly where and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of people you have already talked to, and I feel so good. I feel so good that people can remember me for doing something, for impacting knowledge into them in some way or the other. I mean, that's the motivation also because a lot of, so now my, my children and I go places, and I mean, they see some people, or young people come to us, engaging us, and they'll be like, asking me, mommy, where do you know this person from? Where do you know this person from? And I'll try to link them. Sometimes the people, the, the, young, the young person, the young adult boy or girl will try to link them. Oh, yeah, mommy taught me way back the line at the, the research center. Oh, she taught me at, at the same parenthood. I mean, those are the, the different instances that will always be linking where I have, where I have impacted them. And that, I, I mean, that, that motivates me. Even with service providers, people who have been trained over and over and again that have mentored, that also, that also motivates me because now I, I know that I'm, because I'm empowered, there are lots of other people that are being empowered by, by what I know or what I have done to transform them. So my whole motive in life, I believe, is to transform people, to not, to not leave them where I met them. I should have a positive impact. So if, I, if I met you at this stage that you have these gaps, I will try as much as possible to elevate you so you can have the knowledge. If not like me, but you should have a considerable knowledge and you will remain to those, I mean, of those uh, limited information, limited knowledge you had before. So you can be able to make, I mean, make a transition in society, make impact in society. And I mean, empower, empower a lot of people that you can. As an organization, as an institution, you have achieved a lot. But what can you say is your biggest achievement so far? Okay. Um, I will say my biggest for with the institution. Um, I, I would say from getting the institution from being just a mentorship club or empowerment club to a full-grown institution that is recognized by the, the Republic of Liberia, that is recognized by partners for what we do, I think that's a big achievement. Because a lot of, a lot of colleagues I see, they are doing a lot, but they, they're not ready, they, they've not been organized or they've, or they've not been empowered. So, I mean, have an office space, to have volunteers, to have, uh, um, 
to have volunteers, to even have staff that kind of that feel so passionate about giving back to society. So I mean, when I when I look back, I say, oh wow. I mean, there was sometimes we always used to use our homes. We use out of my house or my sister's house. I mean, just the outside of the house or the the veranda to provide these trainings. Now we have an office space. We have somewhere that people can come and actually obtain these different trainings. People can come and I mean, donors, partners come. They have meetings. Community members come. They have meetings using our conference hall. Using this, I say, well. I mean, if anyone should remember Henry for whatever she has done, this will be one thing they will remember her for. Oh, she established this institution that has done this, that has touched lives. So we've trained a lot of people in different areas, like I mentioned before. I mean, I've worked in this space, like I said, for a long time. So with the, with the, with the component of empowerment, there are service providers, health service providers, clinical and non-clinical providers that have trained. I have mentored, I have been coaching. I mean, but with regards to formidable initiative, we've done a lot. We have a lot of young women, young adolescent girls who have obtained physical education. They have obtained uh, uh, economic empowerment skills that they can move on to, to developing their own lives. So I think that's, that's a very big achievement for not me alone, for us, because Absolutely. we all work together. Yes, we all work together as a team. Yeah, absolutely. Marianne, do you have one last question? Because before I ask the last question. <laughs> no, I was going to ask the last question. So you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, we always have our last question, you know, with wearing a belt, with so much responsibilities. Women sometimes just get into work mode and completely forget to take care of ourselves. So the question will be, how do you take care of yourself when you're not doing your day-to-day -day and you're not, you know, you, you're taking a break from formidable um, initiative? That's a big one. It's so difficult. I feel so, um, I feel, uh, what, what should I say? Because uh, I've been doing injustice to myself for quite a long time, for maybe over eight years. And yeah, I've been doing so much injustice. Like last night, you won't believe it. Last night, I was working up till 11, 11 p.m. Mm -hmm. And my husband came to me and said, Hi, this is Sunday. You have to, I mean, rest. You have to go to work tomorrow. And you can't just be working and working and working. So, that area of my life, I have been doing so much injustice. So, I try as much as possible to make time for the family. I mean, we go out. We visit all the family members. I mean, we relax. There are times we go, I mean, on the beaches. Yes, I mean, there are times, but we, I mean, with, we, if, if we're having it on a scale, that's just so minimum because a lot of my, a lot of my time have been devoted just to work and work and work. And with the new road I have, I have, I have uh, occupied, I have to come from the work with and try to support for medical on the other side issues that they want me to address. I have to come back home and address those issues so that I can have conflict with, with the work I do and, and the passion that I have. So I try to create that balance. But honestly speaking, that has been a challenge because I have, I have really, really, really been, um, been unfair to myself with the work balance. I've been so, so unfair. Mm -hmm. And I need, so I always told myself, like a uh, few weeks, few well, weeks ago, I told myself, well, I need to take a vacation, maybe go somewhere else, spend two weeks, three weeks, 
and then boom, this contract came in. You have to do this. I mean, it was kind of more of a recommendation. We know you can do this. Can you help us do this? And I was like, can I say no? If I say no, I mean, this is something people know that you can do. You can't, you can't just refuse. I mean, this is recommendation that you can't just refuse. Well, you can take this as another opportunity to, to I mean, make, pick up, you know, make bigger achievements. So that's why. But obviously, with the work balance, I have been so, so unfair. So unfair. Very, very unfair. And anyway, I just want to honor your, uh, your honesty. <laughs> like that's how hard it is for you and then from hearing about your work I'm not surprised it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate so thanks for sharing that I'm sure a lot of people res- listening will resonate with that <laughs> yeah absolutely and sometimes sometimes we tend to to feel like okay that this weekend I'm going to take a break and boom you end up working throughout the weekend yeah <laughs> and by the time you know it you're just constantly working week in week out and you know yeah. you don't and take care of yourself you know you don't have that self-care moment and and whatnot which is also quite important <laughs> so Emily before we end we'd love to uh, be able to share with people where they can um find you online and find out more about your work so could you share that okay, <laughs> okay we we have our fit our, our website is www.fiwglibiria.org you can also find us on facebook it's mm-hmm. just formidable initiative for women and girls liberia we also on LinkedIn with the same name, Formidable Initiative for Women and Girls Liberia. Mm-hmm. And we on Twitter also, it's the same thing, Formidable Initiative, but it's Formidable N uh, with, with, with the Twitter. So you find us, which, it's just our same name, Formidable Initiative for Women and Girls. Mm-hmm. And right. our email address for now, yeah, for now we still hook up with the, the Gmail. We, we are Formidable um, sorry, we are FRWGLiberia mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Henry. Um, it's been definitely a, a pleasure. Um, I think I forgot to say um, in the beginning that we're talking to Henry and she's all the way in Liberia. Oh, yeah. Um, what part of Liberia are you in? Um, we, I'm speaking from Monrovia, the capital city for Liberia. And I'm podcasting all the way from Dar es Salaam. And I'm in London. Yeah. Who is in London. So thank you so much for being part of the part of the show. Really, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your work with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And our theme tune over and over was written and performed by Eleanor Brown, who you can find at eleanorbrownmusic.com.